You're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. What we think it would be like to work in a national disaster and the reality of a disaster is often radically different. The attacks on the World Trade Center took many lives directly, and the medical centers were treating the only living survivors, which were often the bystanders and the rescue personnel themselves. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Sadler, Section Chief of the Division of Body CT in St. Vincent's Hospital and Medical Center in New York City. Dr. Sadler is also Associate Professor of Clinical Radiology at New York Medical College. Today we're discussing the attack on the World Trade Center on 9-11 and the experiences of Dr. Sadler at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York City. And thanks for making time for us today, Dr. Sadler. Well, thank you very much for having me. So first of all, tell us, what were you doing when the first plane hit, and how did your facility hear of it? Basically, as, as I think everybody recalls, it was a beautiful morning. And just like scheduled, I had a resident conference to give at 8 a.m. and from 8 until 9. And then at 9, I was scheduled to go over and go to the CT department, down the, basically just down the hall, and start my day's work reading CTs. I had actually gotten to work early that day and taken a look at some of the emergency CTs overnight, which is very routine for us. And then after going over the uh, cases from overnight with the on-call resident, went over to my office to prepare for my conference and then headed over to the conference room. So that morning was really just, as it was for everybody, a very typical, a very typical hustle and bustle morning of needing to sort of combine my clinical and academic requirements. While we were during the conference, we had heard the code, and we knew that there was a problem we had to attend to. What was the immediate response of your department? There was an amount of confusion. There always is whenever there is some kind of a code called. And in this case, we had heard a code none of us were familiar with. As anybody in New York can tell you, there are different types of traumas and things that go on on basically a daily basis in New York. There are certain things that any trauma team is used to, certain codes that are called. The disaster code had never been called, so none of us really were familiar with that. We knew there was something going on, and during my conference, I sent one of the residents out into the hall to find out what was going on. As you can imagine, St. Vincent's is an old hospital, and when you hear a code, sometimes it's a little muffled, and we were in a room with the door closed. And the resident came back and told us about the aircraft hitting one of the towers of the World Trade Center and that there was a large fire and smoke and that we were responding. We knew it was time to move into action. Well, can you tell us about your cases that day? Can you share some of those experiences with us? Anybody who you, who you speak to who was in lower Manhattan, certainly any the, just anybody walking on the streets or anybody in any of the hospitals on that day, the uncertainty of what we were about to see I think, was on everybody's mind. The director of CT, I worked very closely with my chairman and with the trauma panel. Basically, the disaster panel was all the hospital administrators and all the chair people convened in a conference room, in a convenient conference room in the first floor by the emergency department. And that was really central command. That was where all of the orders were given. That's where information came in from from the mayor from the governor, and and actually from the military. So what did you see? My office on the second floor has a very nice view down 7th Avenue. And for your listeners who are familiar with lower Manhattan, 
7th Avenue and Broadway are thoroughfares that go south, and you have a very nice view of the World Trade Center. What I saw was masses of humanity just sort of congregating on 7th Avenue, looking up, and gridlock of cars trying to go south but not being able to go anywhere. Were any of your cases that you were seeing or triaging or scanning or working on aware of the extent of the attack? When we were preparing CT for what we thought would be our first wave of victims. Remember, we weren't really sure exactly what we were going to receive or when. We knew something was going to happen. We weren't quite sure what, how many people, and how, how injured they would be. So the first, I will say, the first couple of patients we saw, which weren't really until the afternoon, were first responders who had gone in and had either broken limbs or had superficial abrasions, some smoke inhalation. That was our initial. Then those mostly were conventional radiographs. See, we didn't start with the real trauma CT patients until a little bit later that afternoon into the early evening. And the first patients we saw were people who had either gotten out of the second tower hit, had gotten out before it collapsed, and were injured while trying to get out of the area or we also had some bystanders, people who were just sort of down there in that area and were injured by the hustle and bustle of either the rescue trucks going south or the people, the masses of people going north. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals, and I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. I'm speaking today with Dr. Michael Sadler. Division Chief of Body CT at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York, and we're discussing caring for the survivors after September 11th. Dr. Sadler, can you share with us any case stories? You know, there's a couple of cases that, that come to mind, Chair, that I'd be happy to share with you and the listeners. We had a very interesting patient who came in with a large penetrating wound to the soft tissues of his back, and this patient had been on the 78th floor when a plane hit, and was able to get out. Although, interestingly, he has had total amnesia and couldn't really answer us how he got out, the assumption being he had walked down before, of course, before the tower hit. Doesn't recall talking to anybody. Doesn't even recall how he got to the emergency room, which is very intriguing. But the gentleman had a very large piece of shrapnel in the soft tissues of his back, and he came to us, and we did a full workup on him, angiographic, CT, plain film. And he was actually lucky in that he did not have terrible vascular trauma, which is the concern. We eventually wrote up a paper on this patient for um, emergency radiology, putting together sort of an, an algorithm of how to work up the patient with axillary trauma, utilizing how we worked up this gentleman Fortunately, he had a, had a happy ending, and the piece of shrapnel was found to be a piece of metal from one of the aircraft. Fascinating. Did, did you speak with or did you treat any firefighters or policemen as part of the services of your department? You know, we did. We certainly did. Most of that was through x-ray. We had a few musculoskeletal CTs looking at fractures. Some of these gentlemen, during the rescue efforts, as you can imagine, climbing over the rubble took terrible falls, nasty spills. They would come to us with fractures that we would, for preoperative planning, do CT imaging on. 
I might have mentioned we had another interesting patient that we spent a lot of time, we worked up and actually wrote up also for emergency radiology that the listeners might find interesting. We also described what's an entity that's in the literature but doesn't really get a lot of press called bystander trauma. Basically, in the case of disasters, there are articles out there going over response to different types of disasters. But there is this entity, bystander trauma, is basically people who are there either watching or ancillary non-military, non-police, non-fire department, non-medical, who get injured as part of the efforts. And we, we had a case on the second day, I think it was 9-12, of a guy who came in with penetrating trauma to the soft tissues of his abdomen. He actually had retroperitoneal gas and a big piece of metal lodged next to one of his kidneys on CAT scan. And very atypical for anything we had seen. The metal didn't look like a bullet fragment. The concern was that he had been shot. And as it turned out, it was actually a piece of metal that was some of the debris that had been thrown on the road down in lower Manhattan. And he was down, actually just going to sort of, as a, someone going down to see what he could see, was going along the side of the road. And you can imagine there were very large trucks, fire trucks, ambulances, and other military-type trucks that were going down to the site and he actually, a piece of shrapnel from the road was sent up through a tire as a projectile, and he had penetrating trauma to his retroperitoneum from that. You wrote up that case report also? Yeah, we did. We thought it would be not only fascinating for people to be aware of this entity, but it was a very interesting workup for penetrating trauma. He did very well, actually. He went to the OR. It was removed, and he did fine. They were able to save his kidney. What was the volume of your radiology department like that day, since you obviously put the brakes on any elective cases that could hold, and some emergencies had to come through anyhow? But what was your total volume like? Well, the total volume on a typical day back in 2001 would range anywhere from, say, a total for body CT. I'm excluding neuro, spines, and that thing, because it's sort of my business anywhere between 20 and 40 cases. That's significantly higher now. But that morning turned out, once we turned away the elective cases, and we still had a few emergencies that were pre-attack that we were doing that morning. Morning turned out to be one of the slowest mornings we ever had. There was really no, as I had mentioned before, there was no influx as we were fearing we were going to have. Patients did start to trickle in later that afternoon. But from our body, from the body side, I don't think we did more than 10 cases in that whole 24-hour period until the morning of 9-12. And I imagine there was almost a sadness about that, too, because it also meant the, the amount of mortality was so high that patients weren't coming into the ERs. Yes, and I should say also, keeping in mind the topography of lower Manhattan, a number of the patients did go to New York Downtown Hospital, which is closer to the site. Bellevue took a lot, which is on the east side, but still not far. So there were other hospitals that were also getting the first-line trauma. So it was sort of shared. What did your department learn about disaster preparedness that day? Obviously, you had a plan in place in general, and you've probably made a lot of modifications to that since this happened. But what was, it, what was the take-home lesson for your department? Well, what we did was previously we had our department plan was integrated in with the hospitals. And it still is, of course. Now within our department, we have our own integrated plan, bringing in the different departments within radiology. And basically, we have now very clearly delineated algorithms, who reports to who, and when, and where, which previously we did have, but it wasn't quite as cut and dry. 
So we now have very set plans that can come up in a computer screen, get printed out very quickly if necessary, of who's in charge of what, who reports to him or her, when do they do it, and who do they follow up with. Is there anything in terms of preparedness that you would have done differently? Well, I think on a human side, I think what I might have done was made sure that everybody had food because, as you can imagine, no one was prepared for being in the hospital as long as we were that day. And I think I might have perhaps triaged one or two of the residents to go and make sure that they had water, sodas, and things like that for the staff, which got to be a little tough later in the day. I want to thank Dr. Michael Sadler, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing diagnosing and treating the survivors of 9-11. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.